Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Good morning, everyone. We're halfway through June. What? How can this be? But anyway, I'm so glad that you are here today. You are in for such a treat. It's going to be so much fun. So I have author Edward Savio on with me today. And if you haven't read his books yet, you're in for a treat. And if you love audiobooks, oh my gosh, his audiobooks are amazing. So If you haven't met him yet, I'm going to read his bio here so you can get to know him a little bit, and then we'll be off. So Edward Savio grew up in Connecticut. He's an award-losing screenwriter screenwriter, and an award-winning novelist. See, I can read. He has written numerous film projects for Walt Disney Studios, Sony Pictures Entertainment, and others. And he once nearly drove Val Kilmer over a cliff. So we definitely have to find out about that. He divides his time between the East and West Coast. Wave to him if you see him passing by. And you can find out more at his website. I did put a link to his website right there on Blog Talk. So if you are listening with us today live or if you're listening later, you can click that link anytime and go check out his website. He has some fantastic web comics on there and all kinds of information on his books. And I think there might be a newsletter. I didn't check for that. But definitely head over there and check out his website. And I don't want to delay any longer. Are you there, Ed? I am here. How are you? Oh, oh, I'm great. How about you? I'm really great. I I laugh every time I hear someone read that last part of the bio (laughs) because it is pretty. I know. Well, I I have to admit that that was one of the things I was most looking forward to today is to find out how did you almost drive Val Kilmer over a cliff? Well, let's start out strong um, with (laughs) uh, nearly killing a movie star. Um, Yeah. So, so as a, as a, you know, I'm a 10 year overnight success uh, when I was in Los Angeles and as I was a struggling kind of making a little bit of money as a writer doing rewrites uh, before I sold my, my first major uh, studio picture to Disney. Um, I was making ends meet and uh, a girlfriend of mine worked at a business manager uh, for movie stars. And, and I actually ended up becoming a client of theirs later, but at this time, uh, she's like, listen, here, you want to earn some extra money. Uh, Val Kilmer needs someone to drive him to uh, ADR, which is automatic dialogue recording, to do the pickups for um, for the Doors movie. And I had to go up to, to his house in the hills, which is literally, uh, it's one lane. There is, I think it's Coldwater Canyon. Um, or Laurel Canyon, and it just goes straight down. And oh. literally, when I came with the car, it was—it's not even a driveway; it's just a path, like a you know wagon wheel path. And uh, if you open the door, no joke, if you open the door and look out, the wheels would be on the wagon wheel path. But if you opened the door of the car and looked down, you were looking over the cliff. You were looking ah. over the side. <laughs> oh, no. And so I come to pick him up in this, I don't know, they gave me some crappy car, so they gave, they gave me some 
you know, town car. And he just looked right. at that and goes, I am not getting in that town car because going up and down that hill. So we drove in uh, his Mustang. And on the way back down, uh, this was for a week. We ended up hanging out. It was pretty crazy. Uh, but on one of the times down, he is literally, he unbuckles his seatbelt. So when you're driving away, uh, leaving the house, going up the hill and away, the driver is on the inside of the hill and the mm-hmm. passenger's on the outside. <laughs> on the way down, on the way down, it's the opposite. And we're, we're heading home, and he literally unbuckles his seatbelt and has his hand on the door. And I look over at him, and I go, you are absolutely going to roll out that door if we go over the side. And he goes, oh, I am leaving you to roll down that hill if, <laughs> if, you know, if anything happens. You know, I am absolutely – I'm like, you are you're – you're a terrible person. Like, grab the wheel. Push me into the hill. Don't open the door and roll out. Oh, I am leaving. So, so yeah, we almost went over a couple – I mean, I ended up getting a little bit more confident. But, man, the first couple times I went up and down that hill, I was like, okay, this is, this is a little scary. But, yeah, that's uh, stressful. That, <laughs> yeah, he's he's funny. He he's funny. He ended up, you know, months later because we were talked about maybe doing something, and he called me up and he wakes me up at Sunday morning and he says to me, or I don't know, it's him. It's Sunday, and I'm not a morning person. Eleven a.m. Mm-hmm. is whew, crack crack dawn <laughs> for me, and um, you know, and he says, uh, he just calls me up. He goes, Edward, Edward, I'm coming to kill you. I know where you live. And I'm looking at the phone going, who is this? Val? And I go, Val? I'm like, and he starts laughing. I go, I'm going to be the first fan who needs to get a restraining order against a movie star, you know, rather than the other way around. And he just starts laughing. So. Oh, I love that. <laughs> but yeah, so that was where, you know, so anybody who wants to become a, a writer can easily just go do that and go meet all the crazy people in Los Angeles uh, and have right. a good time before you start yeah. writing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I know you, you also dropped that you sold a movie script to Disney, but I wondered, have we seen any of your screenplays? Did any of them get I, made in the movie? Yeah. You know, one of the frustrating things is I've actually made a lot of money as a, as a screenwriter. Um, I mean, I've now surpassed my money uh, as a as an author, but I, I made a lot of money as a screenwriter, uh, screenwriter, six and seven figure deals, and none of them have ever seen the light of day. Oh, um, dang! For different reasons. I know, I know. I mean, like studio heads change, um, stars. Unfortunately, one project, um, you know, star passed away. Um, you know, it's. It's difficult. I mean, I'm I'm grateful that I was able to do what I do and make make a living at it. Uh, right. It is unfortunately that those things weren't. But um, but you know, I moved on to books because I wanted to spend more time with my my kids. And I was right. traveling. I lived in Los Angeles for many many years. But then when when I started a family, uh, um, my wife and I lived up in up in San Francisco and. I was going back and forth and I had a place in LA, but I just, once the kids came, it was much harder to do. And so I started focusing more on, on writing things where I could, I could, 
create the whole thing. And especially with the experience of not having stuff made, you know, part of my thing is to make sure that someone sees it. And right. so that was also an important, that was also important is to be able, you know, I get to be the director as well, you know, of, right. of the book. Yes. So. Well, and I, I had uh, Steve Alton came on the podcast before the first Meg movie came out and I had read his yeah. books years ago and he was telling a story about that he had sold movie rights to that book so many times it was it had come out like 25 years before the movie ever finally right. got made right. and he said you know up until i walk down that red carpet to see it he said, it is not real because so many times you know books and screenplays get optioned and it never happens you know no and you know i don't know was he involved in the writing of the or he just he had written the book. He he uh, he wrote the book, and they. I I think maybe he consulted on the screenplay, but I don't think he yeah. wrote it for the movie. Yeah. In, in terms of because I'm a screenwriter, or I was a screenwriter first, right? All the things that we've dealt with with anything with the book, I've been involved as we you know we move forward with some other things, uh, and you know it's it's a totally different medium. A lot of people mm-hmm. are always like they. A lot of people are like you know I really think that book would be great as a movie or a television series. And then when it becomes that, they're going, oh, man, they changed it. <laughs> it's nothing like the book. <laughs> it's nothing like the book. And, and the truth is, it's hard. It's hard to make it the same. Right. Because, right. because, because the you medium is so different. The medium is different. You know, a lot of it, uh, I was just looking at something. I was talking to some people. And as a screenwriter, I do sometimes describe what people's facial expressions are uh, and things, which is really a, a, an artifact of my screenwriting because an actor only has that to mm-hmm. tell the audience. Now, I like it still, but I can also just get inside the head and tell people what someone's thinking or at least what we think someone's thinking. Um but especially if you're doing a first person like some of these books are, you have mm-hmm. to go by what you see on the outside. But in a third, in a third person novel, you can tell us what the, the characters are thinking. And that is something you cannot do in a movie. And right. it's weird if you try to. I mean, it's a voiceover. And yes, it works sometimes, but sometimes it also doesn't. So, you know, when everybody says, perhaps my favorite, favorite of all time um uh, movie to or book to a movie is the princess bride and yes. um and william goldman is one of my idols because he was both a screenwriter and a novelist like i am and really moved between the two and understood the difference between the two and when you read the book and you see the movie you go oh my god they really captured the book then you go back again and you go well they did they didn't but they made it just it feels like the book. That's what right. you want to do. You want to make that same feel. feel like yeah. The book. Makes that feel, you know. So Yeah. Oh, I like that. Well, I want to talk about your book because you have right now it's a trilogy for the Battle for Forever. Are there gonna be more books or is it just a trilogy? There's gonna be one last book, fourth book. Um oh, I yeah. thought I was gonna do this book and finish it. I thought I was gonna finish this story in one book. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, I'm only four. half joking about that. I, yeah, I'm only half joking. I mean, I think I, I think I thought maybe I could do it in two or three, but um, I, I really feel like I want to do it in four. I know where the story. I have always known. We talked uh, before we got on the air. We talked about how you know where the ending is, right. and I've known where the ending of this is. I know the last moment of this of this book series. I've known it from the beginning. Uh, now how I got there, how I'm getting there, that certainly has changed a bit, but I had a pretty good idea. And you and I again spoke before we were here and you guys should really have heard what we talked about. You know, <laughs> all um, the juicy stuff, <laughs> all the juicy stuff we talked about. Um, we can vacillate between being a planner because I'm a screenwriter and I, I need to know my, my points. And, I started writing screenplays originally. Sorry, I started writing books even before I, I started with thinking about you know spending more time with my family. I wrote my first novel because I didn't want to write a screenplay. I didn't want to have the constraints of a, a screenplay, mm-hmm. and so I kind of like went, "I'm going to explode. I'm going to explode everything I know about screenwriting, and I'm just going to do it all different and experiment." And about halfway through the book, I went. All right, Savio, you need to uh, you need to pull this back and fig- and just go use some of your story skills here and bring it back. And when I rewrote it, it ended up becoming this mix of of the two sides of me. And I really appreciated like how it it became something more than I expected it to be because I kind of let go of my need to just be writing the anti-screenplay. Um, <laughs> but, do you, but do you focus, Lisa, do you focus most, more on books, your books, right? Uh-huh. For yeah. I, I write books. Yeah. I've never tackled a screenplay. <laughs> well, again, as we said earlier, uh, it's easier to write a bad screenplay than it is to write a bad book. It just takes less time. <laughs> Right. It's, just, it's so much easier. So if you want to write something bad, people just go out, just go write a screenplay. It's much easier. It's not as much of a commitment. You, know, you won't lose too many months honestly, of your life. Oh, God. You know, I, I, I really do feel for writers, uh, new writers, people who are trying out there who, who just struggle to get through either you know, the first 50,000 words or mm-hmm. they're at 190,000 or, yes. Yes. <laughs> or and, and they don't know what to do, right? It's either one or the other. It's right there. Yes. I can't, uh-huh. I, I don't you know either how get you write stuck or you can't stop. <laughs> you can't stop. And both of them are bad <laughs> because, <laughs> because uh, unless you're Stephen King, nobody, you know, no one's right. going to let you write, you know, a 300,000 word book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, but but uh, but it's fascinating to to see how the people's process is, and I've been actually starting to talk about this because I I started to I used to never tell people about my process because I always thought it was my secret, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know I realized number one it, it ain't it ain't a secret people do a lot of this stuff number two. Um, my voice is my voice. It doesn't matter. I could tell you everything I do. I could give you even the notes of my story mm-hmm. and you aren't going to produce what I produce. You, exactly. you may produce something great, but right. you're not going to produce what I produce. You know? Right. And, 
And so I've, I've kind of been on a mission to, to get out there and help people because there were people that spoke to me about this, some of this stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially early on in screenwriting, you know, I went and I, I normally write by myself, but I wrote uh, a few scripts with a writing partner, a friend of mine. And I had to go talk to famous writing partners because I, I had no idea how to work with another person. Right. You know, but either in, either in the room, I mean, we worked a lot in the same room. I mean, some of our best work was sitting uh, just off the beach in Marina del Rey with towels wrapped around our head, face down on the floor, talking <laughs> out scenes. And if anyone saw us, they would just go, what are these absolute <laughs> morons doing? Are they, what have they done? So, We're making art. <laughs> we are making art. I mean, one day, one day we were so stuck that we decided to see how long it took for an ant to find a drop of honey on a balcony. 20 minutes, by the way. 20 minutes? 20 minutes. That's the record? Uh, All right. Good to know. That is what it was, 20 minutes. And then... As soon as that one came, within another 10 minutes, there were two streams going because they had sent out the word. Wow. I mean, that's <laughs> how bad it gets sometimes. So, you know, writers, if you're out there staring at ants, you're doing great. You're going to become a successful screenwriter. That's right. <laughs> you got the building blocks right now. That's right. You're ready. Well, I was going to ask you kind of what were the building blocks for coming up with this Battle for Forever series, because it sounds like, you know, it's it's very high concept. I mean, you can tell that you were a screenwriter, but it's very high concept and all that kind of thing. But I mean, had it been sitting with you for years? Did you see something and go, oh, my God. And how did it all come to be? What inspired you? So uh, there was a story I was going to write a screenplay about a guy who was about 200 years old. No one knew why it was a singular person. He just was really good at everything. He looked like he was about 35 ish. And it was a comedy just about how someone could go through life and the problems with living a long time, the good and the bad, losing people, uh, obviously living longer, great, losing people, bad, uh, learning all the things you can learn in a couple of hundred years, uh, wonderful, uh, getting bored, bad. Um, so I started thinking about that and I wrote, you know, I don't wrote about half the screenplay and I thought it was a really good idea. I got caught up in a bunch of other stuff. I had some other projects I needed to finish. I put it in a drawer and a couple of years later, my kids were hitting their teenage years and I was like, Oh, my dogs. Um, I, uh, I feel like I wanted to write something. I had written a children's book for them. And I was like, you know, I want to write something a little bit above where they are because they're, they're advanced readers. Uh, you know, they were 14, 15-ish at the time. And I was like, you know, what if 200 years? What if it was, you know, like twice or three times? What if it was 10 times as long as these people lived? And what if it wasn't one person, but it was a few hundred people? And what if we followed this person who looks like they're about 17, but is really 1500 years old. And <laughs> this, 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 but with all the brain, you know, undeveloped brain that a, that a, that a teenager has, but with knowledge, 
he's gone through high school, you know, ever since there was high school. What would happen if the people that were 4,500 years old, they're not immortal, they can die. If they step in front of a train, they're dead. But what would the people that are 4,500 years old who were kings and queens and generals, they can't be famous anymore. So it starts out like this normal, hey, we're going to just follow this 17-year-old. And immediately it turns from, oh, we're just going to do a little like YA storyline here where it becomes, what if that older generation couldn't be famous because of DNA, because of cameras, because of retina scans, because of photographs? You're famous once now. Everyone's going to know in 100 years that's who you are. You can't pretend and look the same. What would they do if they couldn't be famous again? For the Mm -hmm. last 100 years, they've been stuck just having to rein themselves in because once they stick their head out, People are going to know they're different, and then the people are going to either try to figure out their secret by attacking them and tearing them apart, um, you know, get their DNA, try to figure out what the deal is. Yeah. So what? So that's where the story came from, and it was, what would those people do to our society? Because the only answer is to destroy it, at least back to you know the 1850s or so. Mm-hmm. pre-industrial to make sure that they couldn't be discovered. And that's where the concept came from. And the other part of it was, it was also a love letter to my teenage kids because I wanted to say that if you just did something for long enough and dedicated yourself to something, you could get great at it because these characters aren't the Da Vinci's. They mm-hmm. aren't the brilliant people that create new, that takes new blood. But what they are is they're masters of things because they've mastered them, because they've done them so um, for so long and, and trial and error. So that's how that story came about. And then it became, you know, I always write, if you could tell I write with a bit of comedy uh, mm-hmm. always. And even though it's a, you know, it's, I'm, you know, come into a dystopian future, maybe, if these people get their way, it's still funny. Um, right. There's so, still funny moments. <laughs> a, a lot of funny moments. And it actually, <laughs> when, it, when, it, when it hit, it, it, you know, it hit number one overall, but it also stayed on the humor uh, top ten for a long time. And I was like, there were two things that stayed high on, uh, humor and time travel. Uh, it's not a comedy, but it is funny. And it doesn't have any time travel in it. But the character is 1,500 years old, and, he can, and he's telling us the story, and he can tell us about what happened 300 years ago in a flashback because right. he was there. So, um, I love that. And it's fun. And, yeah, so it's been, it's been fun. So I wanted to ask because you we talked before the show about your your process and you like to plan things out. But did the books give you any surprises because you get to dig in a lot more than you would like a screenplay where there, you know, did characters do something and you're like, hey, (laughs) there are yeah, there are characters. Yeah, there (laughs) there are moments where characters do stuff that I've had my my kids come. You know, my kids have literally come upstairs from downstairs to, to go, uh, 
are you serious about this? Are you serious that this character just did this? And I'm like, you're going to have to finish reading, man. I, I don't know what to tell you. I just, that's just what happened. And, um, and so, yes, and I've also had a great time finding the history. And I've heard from a bunch of fans where they'll be like, I'm gonna, I, I needed to stop reading or listening, and I needed to go Google this because this seems like it can't be possibly true. And I'm like, oh, it's true. You just know <laughs> oh this history's wrong. So, um, <laughs> like, for instance, you know, I won't, I won't, I won't give anything away, but uh, the first person who ever flew a plane successfully for a long time, not the Wright brothers. So, um, no. and our character was there. So, you know, you, you want to learn that story? Um, it's pretty cool. And, and it's real. So, I love um, that. Yeah. And, and, and history is always, it, it can be very surprising. I like to watch, um, yep. I don't write historical, but I like to watch historical shows and stuff. And I will do spoilers on Wikipedia because I'll stop it. Same thing like your readers of what? There is yep. no way. And I go on Wikipedia yeah, exactly. and I'm like, oh, way. <laughs> this way. totally happened. Oh, what? I know. That's one of the hardest things actually as a, as a, as a consumer of, of fiction today, uh, where anything has a truth-based thing, we can also look up some information. One of the hardest things is to mm-hmm. go, like especially a show that's older, like if you may have missed it. Like there's a couple of shows. You just can't keep up with things. So I'm catching up with all, all kinds of shows. And I'll be like, wait, I need to know something about this character in this story. But if I actually look it up, it's going to tell me what happened to this character in season yes. four, and I'm only in season three. So how do I ask that question? This Without is, getting a spoiler. Right. Now, this is what AI should be able to do. Now, this is what we need AI for, is to answer yes. the question properly without giving us spoilers, okay? Except um, that AI makes things up now. There's like oh AI God, dreaming and hallucinating. Up. I'm like, okay, what oh, is the purpose of AI if it's just going to make it up? <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, believe me, it's like anything. It's it's like the, you know, people thought television would kill the film, you know, the, right. the, the film star and all that. You know, it's, it is what it's going to be and, and real writers, you know, we've we've got to put in the work. It ain't it ain't gonna get easier to make something right. great. It just isn't. Um, you know, it might be easier to write a paper or you know a business letter, but uh, right. actual storytelling um, is gonna be tough. Yeah. But one of the things that I love uh, about writing, you know, I also um, I know we don't have much time, but I, I write sci-fi, but I also write mainstream fiction and i have another book coming out called the velvet sledgehammer coming out this summer and you know i have been so blessed to have like so grateful to have will wheaton and ray porter be the narrators on on the sci-fi journey uh and ray and i are actually doing a a facebook live this thursday at 1 p.m eastern um it's just it's just so great but this not safe for work very sexy, funny book, The Velvet Sledgehammer. I had to do the narration for it because I just couldn't let anyone else do it. Partly because <laughs> a, a lot of personal stuff, but mostly because I, I, they, they just they would be embarrassed. They wouldn't be able to say half the things that I've said in this book. So, 
the narration part has been really wonderful, like working with Will and working with Ray Porter. I mean, Will Wheaton and Ray, Ray Porter, like they're my, they're two of my favorite narrators and to have them work on these books has been amazing. Yeah. And you've won all kinds of awards for the audiobooks, and it's really yep. amazing. And the, even, even if you just go to the Amazon page and listen to the sample, you'll be hooked because they, the narration is so good. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, Everyone asks, so, you know, do you do you hear these people's voices in your head when you're writing? And I'm like, no, I write, I write what I write, but I do love the narration, and I, yes. I actually also get, I also get a final, I get a final like cut of the narration, which a lot of writers don't, um, a pacing cut. It's not changing much, but it's sometimes just just a pause needs to be in here or a beat mm-hmm. between a sentence or something, or, you know, people have to breathe and, mm-hmm. you know, but, but there wasn't a breath in the book and you need to, sometimes you need to just take out a breath. If, if that sentence really needs to be said without a pause in it. Um, and I've listened to both of these narrators do this work like over and over again, as we're, as we're editing, it's just so amazing what they've done and how they did things that I wouldn't necessarily have, uh, thought of, and they've taken it to a different level. I think I'm luckier than most writers because I started out as a screenplay, a screenwriter. Uh, my screenplays, I've heard, I've heard actors do my words. So, right. A lot of novelists don't ever hear that, and so it is a bit of a juxtaposition and a shock, I think, for people to hear other people interpret their words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it really does bring the book up to the next level. When I heard my audiobooks, I'm like, yep. what is happening? It's so amazing. Yeah. But narrators know, are, yeah. are something. They're magic. But we are rapidly running out of time. But can you tell people one more time where they can go see your Facebook Live? Is it just on – do you have an Edward Savio Facebook page, or where should they go to hear yeah, that? Yeah, if you actually just go to Edward Savio at uh, either – Twitter or Instagram, I will put up the link. It's going to be a, with partnered with Bookster. Um, oh. So if you go to Bookster as well, B-O-O-K-S-T-R.com, uh, they'll, they'll have a link. But if you just go to Edward Savio uh, on any of the social media, social Edward media. Savio pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. And, and we'll, you know, I'm going to do actually after I get off this, I'm going to do a little promo. Uh, in front of a fake, fake version <laughs> of the Saturday Night Live set. Uh, so the first fun. time we did these, I was like, I was like, we're doing Saturday Night Live. No, it's Thursday afternoon live. Okay, Thursday <laughs> afternoon live. I don't know why, but it's easier to get the set, I guess. But, uh, but so it could be me and Ray, me and Ray Porter, and I, I love Ray. Uh, Ray is just a funny, good human being, and I'm looking forward to, to talking with him. I haven't talked with him. Uh, this long since before the book uh, recording uh, in this format. And so I'm just looking forward to it. Ah, well, everyone go get connected on social media with Edward so that you don't miss any of these cool um, live interviews to 
check all that out. And right now, you can go get caught up on the battle for forever because you heard it here. There's going to be book four. So League of Auld is the most recent one. But it, definitely go listen to those. Will Wheaton is the um, narrator for the first book. And um, anyway, and the they're second, fantastic. And first, yeah, for the first two. And then uh, Ray comes on board for the, the third one and for, for the, the fourth one, one as well. Oh, fun. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for being here. It was great chatting with you and good luck on all of your next projects. It sounds fantastic. All right. Thank you very much for having me. Thank Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.